So Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out for months since we last made this podcast and Marty got up this morning and had half a cup of coffee and figured it out spontaneously. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the caffeine. It was. It, I really, really like caffeine. Do you like caffeine? It figured itself out completely all just because of the caffeine. I love the caffeine. I love the caffeine. Caffeine is very special. Yeah. The amazing thing is that I'm sitting here on my third coffee and I can't muster up anything like that energy. But I guess that's what you get for starting life with no caffeine. Mm, yeah. In- Growing up, no caffeine. It was a sin. Makes That's you... the reason I love caffeine so much. It's a sin, you know? <laughs> so many good sins to explore in this life. I went from coffee, which is a relatively mild sin, to lesbianism, which is like <laughs> <laughs> take you out back and hit you with a shovel sin. <laughs> oh, so many sins. Is there anything you're still trying to figure out, Marty? Uh, yeah. Uh, redeeming myself with the Penguin Publishing marketing staff after the meeting we had or you had with them yesterday (laughs) yeah that was really something can I can I just paint the folks a word picture sure okay so Ro is trying to do this meeting if we don't tell them what happened between now and then I can't really explain what I'm trying to figure out there was a thing on the floor (laughs) yes there was something we skipped something we skipped something all right press hold in your mind on the story about the meeting and we'll just like clear up a little something first which is that it's been a really long time since we last did one of these podcasts yes and what are you trying to figure out Rowan Mangan I am trying to figure out how to have a baby and a job and that is because unlike last time you heard us here in Bewildered we've had the bewildering experience of we had a baby it wasn't all that bewildering. I mean, I was, hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it, there were a lot of implements involved. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had other babies and it was just like, what happened? Simple tools you find around the house. Yeah, yeah we did not do it that no, way. No, the, the tools were not simple. The tools were not around the house. And they were not around the house. If they would, we'd been, we would have been raided by the Food and Drug Administration. We had more <laughs> hypodermic needles in this house. And yeah, so it it was a bewildering process, but Roe figured it out and, and actually out came the baby. A baby came out. Yeah. Yes. After quite a long time of going through all the joys of IVF and shit like that. And, but, you know, still a human grew inside my body. So you can't really complain. And, and now it came out and is just the light of our lives. 
Yes. We'll be talking more about that later, but first let that be point one in your understanding of what I'm trying to figure out right okay. now. There wasn't a baby. Now there's a baby. I there's think everyone's with who, us. who, at the time of the meeting, was five months old. Yeah? Correct. So lying on the floor, playing with her toys and all that. And Ro was trying to be a good working mother by having a Zoom meeting <laughs> with the marketing staff for a book I wrote that's coming out in a, a few weeks. I, by the time you listen to this, it might already be out. But it was very formal and official. Wonderful book called this. The Way of Integrity. Yeah. It, the book is called The Way of Integrity. And the marketing staff is really good at Penguin, Viking, whatever publisher I have. <laughs> I'm not really great on, on details. <laughs> but okay, so that's the first word. Okay, first word picture, baby. Second one, row, Zoom meeting. Very serious. Business-like. You know the scene. It's the Brady Bunch opening credits. There we all are. Very official. Yeah. Everybody's like working from home during the pandemic. Okay. Now, I had been recording the audiobook, and then I'd been up really late the night before doing an interview that was in a different time zone. So I had sprayed my hair quite a lot. The night before. The night before. And I got up and when I sleep on a lot of hairspray, <laughs> imagine a cockatoo that's been run through a car wash. Like <laughs> not, I have this sort of crest, but it's not attractive in any way. <laughs> well, I mean, it's artistic. Yeah, that's what it is. It's artistic. It's interesting. And then I have my bathrobe. I go through bathrobes like other people go through, I don't know, graham crackers or something. <laughs> and Ro got me this bathrobe that makes me look like a Russian noble. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a wearable blanket, essentially. Very furry. Very soft. Yeah. The first time I, we had company and I wore this particular bathrobe into the room, everyone left without stopping for about 10 minutes. But I love it because it's warm. Yeah. Okay. So Ro, serious meeting baby on the floor me crest wearable blanket okay so at the beginning of the meeting we're all hi hi how you doing oh good thanks so is it are we all here is, is Martha going to be joining us today and I say no she won't actually be able to join us today and that's fine it wasn't necessary that you be there. Everybody was fine with Everyone it. Was fine. I was thinking you should have said, because I was in the room to take care of the baby if she fussed. Yes. But I was so tired from the audiobook and all and the mm. interview. I was just going to lie there. And then if the baby fussed, I'd get up. And I was thinking she should have told them I'm recording the audiobook because that sounds much more official. But she didn't because she's a very honest person. A reminder that Martha's new book is called The, the Way, Way of, of Integrity. Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to lie. I wanted you to lie. Got it. Okay. So they're getting into the meeting. It's a very serious agenda. Everybody's very buttoned down. The baby starts going, eh, eh, which is the way she fusses. Eh, eh. She does a fake cough. She's like, polite. Like, eh, hello, eh, diaper, eh. So she's lying there doing that, and I thought, oh, well, this could get bad. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the great ally that I always wanted when I was having tiny babies of my own that came out of my own body. And I thought, I'm going to stay out of the shot. So I got down on the floor, well out of sight, and I crept. <laughs> slithered is really the word. I slithered belly to the floor face to the floor picture someone trying to do a commando crawl but in the softest bathrobe of all time with a crest with a crest <laughs> so i moosh my way i slither my way up to the baby and i start <laughs> playing with the baby do 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 poke you in the belly button boop but softly silently <laughs> we're over here talking about yes numbers launch event mm, mm, yes yeah. Affiliate links, mm, yes. Los Angeles, Houston, whatever. And then I think, well, I mean, the baby starts to have a lot. We are having a lot of fun together, so I think I'm going to take her to a different part of the room. So I put her in a football hold under one arm and slither. <laughs> <laughs> slither to another place. And I look at my phone because I'm thinking... Uh, and and Ro is dangling her cell phone frantically, <laughs> wiggling it at me in the Imagine air. someone dangling something frantically, but if you will, <laughs> while, while keeping a very straight face. Staring at the screen, totally businesslike. And I think I'm about to get so many love hearts for being <laughs> a supportive person to a working mother. And, and I look at her and her face is just completely stern. In fact, it's a little angry. And 
I look at the message on my phone and it says, you are on screen <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> so I've been sitting there. There were only four people in the meeting. So imagine there was plenty of room in my little Brady Bunch screen for them to see the background. I had really carefully chosen this background because I didn't want, you know, the you know how it goes. You don't want people to see how you live. I was trying to like strategically avoid pockets of mess <laughs> that could have appeared behind me. So, yes, the, the floor and just where the baby's foot was, the baby's foot sort of appeared. And I don't mind that because I don't mind, you know, my colleagues knowing that there's a baby, da-da-da. So that was fine. But, yeah, it, there was like ample background. And as we discussed, you know, websites and affiliate links and anchors and whatnot, um, yeah, we so slowly into into my background slithered <laughs> the fabulous genius best-selling author herself, Doctor Martha Peck, Harvard Pop University, in. in her robe with her crest, slithered over to the baby, whispering, "Poke you in the belly, button. <laughs> wasn't right it picked up every word by the way and yeah and and I just want to say can I just say something okay also you got back to the bed you saw the text and even after understanding what had happened you did did you not commence a little game of pat a cake pat a cake what else is one to do that's in the background of everything. Let's face it, in, all, in the background of all our lives, the soundtrack to all our lives is someone going, Patty Cake, Patty Cake, Baker's Man. Yes. Mm. Mm. And she's st- she, and yet Ro remained angry. <laughs> <laughs> it failed to cheer me up for some reason. And said, please, could you go in the other room? Via text. So, uh, and yeah, then, and then get... at the end of, sorry, I just have to say, at the end of the meeting, so there were two people from the publisher and then there was me and then there was someone else from our team. And after the publishers got off and it was just me and my colleague, I just said to her, did uh, you happen to notice anything in the background of my screen? She said, oh, you, you mean Marty slithering across the floor in a soft <laughs> robe to, to play with your baby? I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. that happened. That happened. So I got to get back on the horse somehow. It's all about getting back on the horse. Yes, that's the topic topic of this podcast did we say getting back on whatever horse you've fallen off of change eh Mm, it sure does keep happening i feel like there's something that you martha beck have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it oh by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. In our case, because it has been such a long time since the last time, it's this podcast itself. Yeah. This is the horse upon which we are trying to yeah. get back. It's weird. You fall off a horse. Mm. And that's the thing. Falling off a horse is scary. And they say, if you don't get back on, you never ride a horse again. You have to get right Right. back on. But But falling off a horse is at least quick and effortless. (laughs) (laughs) Getting back on the horse feels like, it feels, I mean, it's taken us a while. We've had a few false starts getting back on the podcast horse. Indeed we have. So yeah, but but we're going to talk about it here. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about very, various different aspects. Yeah. How to get on the horse? Yeah, we, we want to talk about, like, so you've got something you want to get back on the horse about. We know what, what we're talking about, right? You've, you've been doing something and you've stopped doing it and then you want to start doing it again. So what we want to explore for ourselves as much as you is, you know, do you want to get back on the horse? Are you sure mm. you want to get back on the horse? Do, when is the right time to get back on the mm-hmm. horse? Should you get back on the horse? Which horse? Which horse? Which horse? Very, very good question. Thank you. So, yeah, um, this is about us getting back on the podcasting horse and dragging you guys back onto whatever horse you've fallen off of. Yeah. Right along with us. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope that your fall has been soft. Yes. A soft landing. And 
you know, just pause a minute before you get back on. That's all we're saying. Can I just tell you a brief brief thing about our friend Katya, who, who is a horse trainer, and she fell off a horse, and I believe she was dragged, like her foot caught in the stirrup. This isn't a metaphor. I just, I hasten to add. No. Don't try, and, don't try and decode this as a metaphor with the foot and the stirrup is like the, yeah, no. No, that'll come later, actually. But um, she lost consciousness. Some people woke her up and said, who's president of the United States? And she said, I know it isn't Mozart. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's classy, our Kachuku. She is. But she got back on that horse, and yes, that's why she she's did. still a brilliant horse rider to this very day. And we hope that after this podcast, you can figure out how to get back on any horse you like. Yeah. As you probably know, this podcast is about how culture teaches us to come to consensus. But on this podcast, we're all about coming to our senses. Yeah. So most of us grow up deeply socialized. We cooperate with our cultures, whatever they tell us to do. And we kind of do it blindly um, from babyhood on. But even as adults, we're very, very responsive to cultural pressure. And cultures always try to push people to a kind of consensus about what's okay. And that way the culture functions smoothly. But coming to our senses is like returning to nature as opposed to culture. And our whole premise is that your nature is what's best for you and the culture doesn't know what's best for you so we always talk about what's the cultural pressure around the thing we're trying to figure out right because if you if it's all about consensus it's it implies that everyone needs the same thing yes and we don't think that's true we, we don't, don't feel that's that that's true i don't feel that i well true. i don't i don't want to speak for you some people do though but we don't like them <laughs> we hate those people <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so Ro, where is the cultural pressure around the issue of getting back on the horse? Yeah, I think that there is a tendency to think in a way of you must because you did. You know, it it has to be because it was before. Yeah. And so, when we're talking about getting back on the horse, it's like, are we sure <laughs> that it's the right thing? Yeah. Because there's a consensus around it, it, it must be because it was. Yeah, I kind of call it the tyranny of the way it's done. And yes. it's so nonsensical. Like, we have a summer break for children so they can help with the harvest. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we go to offices to do information work because that's how a factory works. Wait, we don't need that either. And yet it's normal because it's the way it's done. It's familiar. Yeah. One of the ways that I'm really feeling that pressure at the moment is that there's this whole thing after a woman has been pregnant, a person has been pregnant, um, which says bounce back body-wise. You've had this massive event happen to your body and make sure that you're super skinny and super active and make it as though there was no pregnancy and there was no baby. And I don't enjoy that. And it's I've really like been conscious of feeling the pressure and conscious of uh, and, and very grateful that I, I have the luxury to be able to question that as well and mm. say no and I think of this lovely song um, that I used to listen to very obscure song from a folk singer back in Australia but where she talks a, about my softness abundance my strengths my reserves and I and I, that came into my head the other day when I was thinking about this postpartum bounce back kind of cultural pressure mm-hmm. it's like no my my softness, my reserves. I'm yeah. keeping it. I'm not. I'm not coming to that consensus. No. I remember when when I had my first baby way back in the days of early feminism. Like it was 1831, I believe. <laughs> you were a suffragette. Um, yes, I was a suffragette in my bloomers, and um, it was. And I was at Harvard. It was like, okay, I have to go out and be like that woman who throws the calf in a field and just keeps harvesting, you know, a tough, tough feminist. And I, so I gave the baby to my then husband and she was about three weeks old and I tried to just go walk to an office and do something. And I got mm-hmm. as far as about a block away. And then I remember just leaning into a door frame and sobbing. Oh. And my whole body was just like, I must go back to my baby. And I I kind of realized from that point on that the consensus was cruel, actually. Yeah. And I think one of the the main things that we notice with this is 
whenever it's your brain saying one thing and your body saying another, that's a sign that there might be mm. more investigation to be done. You know, our bodies aren't machines. It's not a factory. We've, yeah. you know, we've got to look into. We've and got to look into it. We live in this very uh, mechanistic society where everybody is supposed to be machine-like, you know, totally yeah. predictable, always the same. And we're not. We're not robots. We're animals. And animals are scared of the unfamiliar. That's one of the hmm. things that evolved into almost every creature is if something's unfamiliar, shy away from it. Or if you haven't been there for a while, check it out carefully before you go back. Like yeah. there could be a predator there now, right? What's the what's the thing about uh, approach avoidance, Marty? Yeah, they do these experiments with rats where they can predict mathematically exactly where a rat will stop <laughs> when you give it so the rat is hungry you put a pallet of food by a button and to get the the pallet it has to press the button but it will also get a small electric shock yeah. i know I, I this is why i went into so, sociology instead of psychology i couldn't bear to torture rats um no offense psychologists out there or rats <laughs> for that matter um try, trigger warning for our rat listeners all right so if the rat is really hungry, it will go very close to the button, but it can't quite get itself to press it because mm. the shock. Yeah. And if it's not as hungry, it will stop halfway. And then it'll start going back and forth and back and forth. And this is very interesting. It starts grooming itself frantically. <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is going. Uh, every time I try to get back on the horse with anything like riding or um, even painting, which I do for fun, it's like I go right up to it and then I think, what if I can't anymore? Maybe I won't be able to do this. I don't remember how to speak. And I, all of a sudden, the urge to floss your teeth becomes I overwhelming. and floss and <laughs> floss. It might be nice to comb down my crest, but that's only, you know, when I have a deadline. That's, that's a writing deadline when I start attacking the crest. Yeah. So what do you feel that way? Like... What happens when you do the approach avoidance dance? Yeah, one of the things that I think I do, you've reminded me of this now, is that when we're starting a new project professionally, one of my happy places that I, I go to is I start doing homemakey things. I start, I, I take refuge in the domestic. And <laughs> she becomes Hestia, goddess of the hearth. <laughs> I will make bread from scratch, but with, with grass seed from the yard. <laughs> I'll take your bird seed away from your birds and turn it into a tasty delight for humans. Yeah, yeah it's, and things get very tidy and we eat so well when you have something that to do professionally. But mm, eventually the horse is standing there. You have to get back on it. And the productivity culture says. Yeah, the, the, the culture of productivity always says recreate the past no matter what the cost. Yeah. And I think we all key. feel that pressure. Yeah, no matter what the cost. I mean, it really can get to the point where people are destroying their health. I've, we've been joking, but in all seriousness, I've mm. coached so many people who were spent from trying to continue to do things the way they'd always done them in the past. So, and, and it could be like, around things like you were mentioning physical body stuff mm. i remember talking to this guy once and he's like he, he had to drop out of a marathon and he said i don't understand i did the training exactly like they told me in the books and i was like he's like i read i read 20 miles in the morning i run an extra 10 at night he showed me a schedule i'm like dude you're exhausted you look exhausted and he's like what are you talking about i i have a schedule <laughs> i was like Lie down, honey. Just yeah. lie down. So, I mean, it's but, so easy, even with like the, just those personal routines, those those sort of classic things. Every day I'm going to do my 10,000 steps, you know, yep. forget about marathons. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just need to walk around the block. And we can just get very rigid because I think, yeah. you know, th there's, a, there's a thing where it's easier to – you commit to something once, right, and then um, you don't have to think every day. And right. so there's, there's that sort of thing. But it's funny when something changes up. Like my routine used to be meditate for like two hours in the morning. And when that, the energy for that moved to something else, I was really, I really thought, no, 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 that was something good. I need to keep doing it exactly the way I did it before. So 
Yeah, and I we even know. we even tried that with the podcast. We had we we there are episodes that will never see the light of day that mm. we diligently recorded, and we were trying to get back on the same horse in the same way, and it that wasn't our horse anymore. Yeah, another place this really hits home is relationships. Oh yeah, there's the whole you know the courtly love thing that comes from the 14th century in Europe, which is what, where you're, what our model of love is based on is this intense sexualized yearning that never gets fulfilled because it's in the 14th century it was you lusting after someone else's spouse Mm. and so we get that that's in all the rom-coms and it ends at the moment when they're in that heightened heightened passion and then occasionally they'll say and 90 years later they're just as hot for each other's bods you know they got no teeth but they're humping (laughs) like bunnies that might be an advantage in some cases (laughs) i I'm not even going to countenance that. (laughs) So, yes, relationships don't always stay the same, whether or not you lose your teeth. Yeah. The flames can cool, even if you're just gumming everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's almost like it's it's almost like that what the culture is saying is it will look like this or it will be nothing. And and the tragedy of that, if you think about it in terms of relationship, is so if you're not jumping each other's bones constantly in your 90s then it's not a real relationship instead of looking at all the ways that these sorts of things can flourish or you know if you're not doing your 10,000 steps what if you start swimming you know what if there, there are other ways that we meet our needs if our brains just stop te- you know telling us this is right what it must look like I mean the a prime relationship is the one you have now with your baby yeah a lot of mothers get really clingy when their babies start to mature um, hit those pubescent ears, start branching out on their own. Yeah, and like the the kids a teenager, and you're still just blowing raspberries on their tummy, exactly. day and night, yeah. slithering across the floor <laughs> at <laughs> night. <laughs> Hello, it's me and my crest. <laughs> just Mom. like always, just like always. My husband's here. <laughs> you're embarrassing me. <laughs> okay, and then, and then there's like work. Um, people like. They go home from a job for, I don't know, a global pandemic for a couple of years or whatever amount of time it is. Then they think, oh, we have to go back to it the same way. You see the pattern here. The culture yeah. is like, do it like it what It must be because it always has been. Yeah. So, yeah. so how do we break the cultural mold, Marty? How do we start to evolve past yeah. the it must be because it was? How do we go from culture in nature how do we go from consensus to come to our senses exactly i was just gonna say that oh my god we're so in sync i know so marty as you know in our household we yes. talk about a thing a lot called le pause le pause which comes from a book called bringing up bebe by bebe. a wonderful american woman who lived in paris when she was having her kids and she just writes about things that American mothers might learn from French mothers and vice versa, frankly. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Learn? But and we're American. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this thing called le pause. Le pause. Le pause. Le pause. I just like saying it. Yeah. And bebe. Bebe. Moira yeah. Rose. So le pause is something that particularly trigger-happy parents trying to respond to their children Uh, need to learn which is say your kid starts making a bit of noise in bed (coughs) like that (coughs) little polite (coughs) coughs excuse me mother (coughs) excuse me (laughs) what um we can have a tendency to do is oh no my baby is in distress and you run over and you oh baby what's wrong what's wrong and uh the lesson to learn which we have needed to learn many times in our house is hey maybe baby's just rolling over or hanging out or making a bit of noise in her sleep and just pause and see la pause and wait you stop and wait you stop and wait hey you don't have to commit to anything just check it out see if what you think is happening is actually happening see how it feels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so when it comes to getting back on the horse the way that we can use la pause is you know, let's stop before we jump back on it and and start doing things the way they were before because maybe falling off the horse is a great opportunity to just check in with yeah. your senses. Yeah. Does, is that even the right horse? Is it even the right 
horse anymore. You don't just mindlessly climb back on that particular horse. There could be other horses. It might be a horrible horse. Oh, it might be an angry, dreadful horse. Oh, it could be just a ugly horse <laughs> that you just don't want to be seen with there anymore. There are no ugly horses. There are only, only ugly riders. Horses are all perfect. They all go to heaven. And they'll kill you on sight. <laughs> so, I know this. Um, so anyway, yeah, there are different, it's a different thing. And as, as a coach, my whole life has been about people saying, I've fallen off the horse of this or that. Uh, usually professional, sometimes health, sometimes relationship. And they think they have to go back to the way it was. And everybody's telling them. You need to go back to the way it was. But every time they try, they self-sabotage. That's the way they see it. Mm. Because what happens is they get sick or they get distracted or they get in accidents. You know, they literally stop themselves and they think they're sabotaging themselves. And what I always tell them is maybe it was the wrong horse all along. And what you're doing to get out of it is not self-sabotage, but self-rescue. Oh my God, that's yes. so good. Like maybe that's a zebra. Zebra. That's a zebra. It's a zebra. It's not a horse at all. Zebra will bite you and let, never let go. Yeah. That's why they don't, they never domesticated them, you know? Is that right? Yeah. They are biters. And they will <laughs> not, they, they bite like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, the, and there's your metaphor, they right? also make a weird sound. Try and get back whoop, on that whoop. horse. It'll bite you. Yeah. And yeah. if it's going, whoop, whoop. It's probably a zebra and will bite the living crap out of you. Yes, that's the sound they make. Is it? There are zebras coming to the door right now in response to my call. (laughs) You just gave them a mating call. (laughs) You 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 thought you were saying, but actually you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's when the wrong horse gets back on you. (laughs) Sorry. Catherine the Great reference. Boom. Google it. But there is definitely a feeling that if we we can practice lapores long enough, there's a feeling about getting back on the wrong horse. So clear Mm. and people like i'll go talk to groups about this and they're like that's really woo woo and mysterious and i'm like no it isn't it feels horrible to try to do something that's wrong for you so how do we know if it's if i'm doing something that's wrong for me or am i just um having trouble getting back on the horse that's the right horse what's it's all about coming to your senses as we say Like your brain will be screaming the cultural consensus, but your body is going to rejoice as you go towards something that's right for you Uh and is going to resist as you go towards something that's wrong. Okay. And I've seen it a million times. In my my own case, I I ended up majoring in Chinese uh, in college. See, I didn't say Harvard. Oops, I said (laughs) it. (laughs) Drink. Um, No, trigger warning. Drink water. Um, so yeah, I, I majored in Chinese because I had a crush on a dude, <gasps> which is ironic a dude. since I don't have crushes on dudes anymore. I'm glad to hear it. Mm, yeah. La pause. So <laughs> La pause. <laughs> 20 years later. Oops. Um, yeah. So I, I majored in Chinese and it was hard. I okay. went to a Chinese speaking university in Singapore where I was known as Mrs. Mandarin, because they filled out the form incorrectly. (laughs) So I was Mrs. Mandarin. It was like a superhero who spoke incredibly bad Chinese. And then I tried to go to graduate school. There goes Mrs. Mandarin with her terrible Chinese. (laughs) And then I tried to go to graduate school in Chinese studies because I was already doing it. But I was terrible at Chinese. Really, really not good. Um, Never did get a hang of it. And it's funny because you speak Chinese spontaneously around the house all the time now. Do you? <laughs> if there's a Chinese person, they would, you know, it would be like me slithering across the floor in my cockatoo crest. That's how I was picturing you as Mrs. Mandarin on the on the campus in Singapore. <laughs> just, just just there goes Mrs. Mandarin <laughs> slithering across like the floor a in her robe. <laughs> I don't even know the Chinese word for slug. I should. Oh anyway, I tried to go to graduate school in Chinese and it was like trying to take out my own appendix with like a blunt knife. It was like, I really want to be in this program. No, I don't. My whole body is feeling all crunched and nasty. So your brain thought that you should yeah. do. Why? Because I had. I must uh, because I had. Right. That's what one does. And then... I also applied in sociology because that's sort of like you could study Chinese things, but in a sociological way rather than in a Chinese speaking way per se. (laughs) 
So, and then when I did that, it was like, yeah, and I got in to the PhD master's program in sociology. And when I started reading the textbooks, and by the way, I had never had a sociology class when I started my doctorate you in sociology. Rack me up. Well, I'm a person. You're like, there's a really horrible horse for me that's called studying in Chinese. So I'm going to find a lovely little Shetland pony called doing a PhD in something I've never studied before. It's like you love finding the hardest thing. Yeah, that's why I majored in Chinese, actually. Yeah. But um, literally, I got the little guidebook to the Harvard courses and it said it was very hard. Anyway, I started reading stuff in sociology and little did I know it would be the right horse for me. I was so fascinated by it that even though I was a working mom, had a seven-month-old baby when I started, uh, because cultural, feminist, all that, la pause, don't do it, um, <laughs> I would stay up at night when I could not afford to be more sleep deprived because the material was so fascinating to me. Mm. Like I did not want to put it down and it was all, every bit of it was in English. Oh my gosh. Yeah, except for Love the parts it. that were in German, but. Um, okay, okay, hey, la pause. La pause. For a second. Yeah. I just want you to break it down. How it felt doing, getting on the wrong horse okay. versus how it felt getting on the right horse. So I do two applications for graduate school. Knew I wanted to stay at Harvard because my then husband was still in the graduate school himself. So, and we didn't have a car. Basically, just kept going to Harvard over and over because drink, we couldn't drink, afford drink, a car. Drink, 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 water. And I applied for the topic I knew, Chinese, and it was like, it was like mashing my face against a huge emery board and squishing it back and forth. Like it was a horrible feeling. Then I applied in sociology, something I'd never basically thought about. And it was like, yeah, da, 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 da. like I couldn't get enough of it. I was full of energy. Your body gets full of energy. Your okay. mood goes up. Everything. This is why I was saying it's so freaking obvious once you start paying attention. Right. Now, when does that happen to you? I think as you're talking, I think that when I first tried to rewrite my novel, I had a bit of an experience like this. So I'd, I'd written a shitty, shitty first draft That's of my novel such a lie. many years ago. And um, I, and then I, you know, it was time to rewrite it. La la la. I knew it was a second draft time. And so I got into that manuscript and I started and I just hated it. I hated it. And I think there's a feeling of that. I think what you're saying about energy, like I just, all the energy got sucked out of me yeah. immediately. I was so not interested mm -hmm. and how do you get back on a horse that bores the living shit out of you <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most boring horse in the world can i can i it, it intersperse here with the story of not getting on the horse literally please do okay hold that thought about the novel though okay you got it you got it Le so pause. When we lived in California, I actually, somebody gave us a horse because it was, <laughs> because that's what happens when you live in California. Well, it was so, we had a place to put it and this horse was really old and in the really, corner, really furry. <laughs> I mean, really furry. It looked like a woolly mammoth because, and it, it, it's not funny really because it had a, there's a condition called Cushing's disease that makes them really furry, but it looked like a teddy bear imitation of a horse. Sweetest horse on earth named Buddy. Buddy the horse. Yeah. I remember Buddy. Sweet I tried to shave boy. him because he was hot with all his fur. Yeah, you did do that, didn't I you? took my hair clipping in implements, which I used to cut people's hair down <laughs> to the barn, and I started shaving that horse 12 hours a day. I would fill, I'm not exaggerating, huge garbage cans full of hair, and Buddy looked like he'd been attacked by a horde of locusts. It was not, not good. And listeners, this is why you see that having Martha slither across the floor in a robe is really a very mild kind of it's strange thing to have part for the course my body rejoiced when i wanted to shave a horse um <laughs> you gotta tweet that <laughs> my body rejoiced when i wanted to shave a horse <laughs> it's the truth there's a reason this show is called Bewildered, because how you feel right now. Yeah, just come in in the middle at any point. Okay, so Buddy was such a sweet horse, and, and I would go out, and I'd saddle him up, and I'd learn to ride on Buddy, because he was so gentle and sweet. Mm. And um, 
there's a thing called a mounting block. It's a little step If you're stool. a short, short person. So yeah, you saddle your horse, you put the mounting block next to the horse, you climb up, put your left foot in the left stirrup. So you're on the horse's left side. Mm. Always. You know why? Because your sword would be carried on your right side. That's Mine wouldn't. I'm left-handed. <laughs> Tough. Tough beans. Wow, I would get killed so fast. Well, that's the left-handed curse. We should do a whole nother podcast on it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, you do get on your horse's left side. So, And then you swing gracefully and gently and lightly. You swing your right leg over the horse and settle gently onto his back so as not to hurt his back. Just basically float through the yeah, air like a gymnast. Machines. They're not machines. They're, no. They're creatures. So I got buddy ready. And we'd done this with a teacher before, and I was going to do it myself. I put the mounting block on. I got up. I put my left foot in the stirrup. I went to swing my leg, and as I swung my leg, Buddy took two slow steps forward. Oh, Buddy. Buddy said, are you sure I'm the right horse? Yeah. Splits, fall down. Buddy looks at me. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Get up. Replace the mounting block. No, bring Buddy back to the mounting block. One step, two step, left foot in the stirrup, swing, buddy steps forward, one, two, splits on the ground. This went on for like a day. I th- I'm getting the feeling that this might have been a deliberate revenge for the shaving incident. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out because I plan to shave you next. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. Well, let's not, not going to touch it. Well, there you go. Oh, no. oh my God. We're into that territory. Oh, Nothing's dear. coming back now. Anyway. The whole point is, it wasn't like the Chinese sociology thing was massive, yeah. but the, sometimes the horse just steps a little bit out of reach and you just can't. It just, you keep trying to can and you can't and you can't. And that's how it was with you in the that oh, version of the novel. It yeah, just yeah. was not there ever. It just kept stepping out of reach. That's actually, that works. I like it. I like the metaphor. Yeah. Thank okay. You. So my novel kept taking two slow steps <laughs> away from me. <laughs> to teach me a lesson about shaving it when it didn't want to be shaved. And, yeah, and so anyway, the 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 solution with my novel was that I had to do a blank page rewrite of the second draft and it became a completely different horse, yeah. as it were, a completely different goat. Yep, so you stepped back, you did la pause. I la paused. And then you basically said, for a few years. how do I want it to feel this time? How do I want it to be this time? Well, how, do you, how did you reapproach that? It's definitely got to be about how do I want it to feel, mm. you know, and, and I, you know, I think I want a good story, you know, I want mm. to be fascinated, I want to be gripped, I want to feel the way you felt when you were doing your sociology stuff, right? I wanted to feel energetic, I wanted to feel excited. So what, like, you're thinking through thoughts, how to start the novel again, mm. and you hit on what, a line, a scene, an idea? Because often it's in the mind that you first are able to, like, picture the horse you do want to get back on. Yeah, and to me it was very much about the voice of the protagonist, not to get into into the novel too much, but it was about I want to read this kind of book. I want it to feel this way. I want it to taste this way as I'm reading it or writing it. I remember because I read it and the first draft was very literary, which yeah. is an excellent, I have to say it was brilliantly written. It was really nice. But there was so. one passage in there that was more like, it was all classical music and there was one paragraph where it was more like jazz. That's right. And I said, that, 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 what if you wrote the whole thing like that? And in that way, Marty saved my damn book. God bless you. That's why they call me a life coach. <laughs> so I rewrote the whole thing based on that, on the voice in that one paragraph, and it was delicious. But, you know, I think what we need to do is just ask ourselves before you get on the horse, la pause, what does my body want? What makes my body feel that way? What does my heart want? What does my soul want? Because if, if it's our minds that are driving, mm-hmm. that's going to get really fast into the tyranny of what, that's right. What is it? The tyranny of what, how it's done. Of how it's done. Yeah. The tyranny of how it's done. The brain makes that shit up. And it's interesting because what you're saying brings you into the present moment. So we always look at the past mm-hmm. to see what we've done in the future to see what we want to achieve. And then we try to sort of orient. But in that process, we lose the present moment, which is where all our senses are saying yum to one thing and right. yuck to another. 
Yes. And yes. so you have to kind of forget your past and forget your future and just say, what's yummy right now? What's delicious? Right. And I think that if, if in that moment of presence, that's when you're actually available for to be told what is right. Right. You just in pausing, in being in the moment, you're ripe to be to be given the guidance. Can I bring in something called the Eureka effect? And I mean seriously in psychology, it's called the Eureka effect. I wish you would. Yeah, it's based on the idea that when you work something, work a problem, work a problem, and it's not going anywhere, the way to get your brain to solve the problem on its own is to completely break from the activity and do something different. Mm -hmm. So it was Archimedes, he was getting in the bathtub, trying to solve this question, how do I know the mass of the king's crown without being able to measure it? I don't remember what way. And he anyway. thought, I need some self-care. I'm going to take a bubble bath. Yeah. So he gets into the bubble bath and he goes, Eureka, which means I found it. And he was hmm. so excited. <laughs> and I often think that when I climb into the bath. <laughs> He's like, there it is. <laughs> took off my shorts and I found it. Um, but... He, you know, what he thought as he got into the water was a body immersed in water displaces a body of water equal to its own mass. Boom! Mic drop. Duh. And he went running through the streets naked shouting, Eureka, Eureka. So, and, and this takes me to a, a quote from Herman Melville in Moby Dick when he mm. says, put a man, get a man thinking and put him on his feet and he will lead you to water. It's usually when I am stuck with something and I don't know what horse to get back on, I go into a part of nature that is moving so i walk or there doesn't seem to be something about the the bathtub in the in the river like water flows mm. yeah mm. and so literally physically think about something else go out for a walk or watch a waterfall or whatever it does that distracts you and brings you into the present moment mm -hmm. and what happens is that the problem is being worked out in the lower levels of the brain huh. which you're not conscious of and they're not verbal and then so that you, you can almost feel it like there's a, a, a sense of something rising and dawning like something's just scratching at the door to get mm, in i know that feeling and then you're just like you get to the river you're watching the water and boom eureka the problem solves itself a whole new horse comes into view and you're like that's the horse i've been looking for and that's when you get on yeah. i love that huh. so maybe so maybe as well as pausing before you get back on the horse do something to um so that, that's to do with movement yeah i think that should be part of la pause Yes. Unless moving is what you're doing, like my marathon runner client, you know, you like take a pause from whatever you're doing mm. and, but go into a natural space. That affinity with water isn't necessary, of course, but it, I do think watching something that moves like a fire or wind in the grass, mm. anything like that. And the motion of walking is what always gets me out of stuck places. Right. And, and it's interesting because when you come to your senses that way, the, the the fact of flow, the fact that everything is always changing, mm -hmm. is the kind of paradoxical uh, opposite of the absolute present. So you're in the absolute present where you're not looking at past and future, but at the same time, the present is continuously moving. It's never the same moment to moment to moment. So you begin to flow with the present, but without looking at past or future. Got it, got it. And that's part of disengaging the mind and all that it thinks. Yeah, and I think that's why Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, try to look that one up. It's hard, the hardest word to pronounce in the English language because it's not English. Csikszentmihalyi called the state of optimal pleasure for a human, he called it flow. Yeah. And it's at that space where you're, you're trying to find the right horse to get on and you allow yourself to move and to... to chew on the problem and then release it. And then you go into this state of flow where you recognize that everything's changing. Um, and so something about that will flow you into a solution that you may not even have thought of. And you know what I love about that is it just makes me think that to follow our metaphor, that when you get on the horse that is inspired by that state, mm -hmm. the flow of how you're going to 
move with that horse, with that, you know, it's going to be that sort of beautiful symphony of something that you're doing that is actually also belongs to the state of flow. Oh my gosh, that it reminds me of the writing lessons I took from our friend Katya who fell off the horse and now knows that Mozart is not the president. Apparently she thought it was before she fell off the horse. I don't know. Anyway, the difference between taking writing lessons from anyone else and taking writing lessons from her is this presence thing. Like literally when you get on a horse, think like it's not a horse that's ever been before and it's not a you that's ever been before. Ooh, yeah. It's like Heraclitus said, no one, no man steps in the same river twice because the water's always flowing. Um, but then my friend Stephen, the Zen monk said, and no person ever steps in the river who was the person they were a minute before. Everything's always shifting. Yeah. So when Katya rides, and what she tried to get me to do, unsuccessfully, is she's so present in that moment with the horse, and I did feel it occasionally, the difference between the horse and your body disappears. So she used to have me say in my head as the horse walked and my body moved, she'd have me say, I am with you, you are with me. I am with you, you are with me. And then she'd drop the with and she'd say, I am you, you are me. Wow. I am you, you are me. And it, it works with books. It works with paintings. It works with freaking housework, making bread from grass. If you are one with the thing mm. you're doing, mm. every, that flow is able to take over and be, the whole ride becomes kind of magnificent. I love this so much. And... I think I would be doing our listeners a disservice if I didn't say that you have to become a centaur. <laughs> I, am, I am you, you are me. I am a centaur now. Totally. Yeah. When you see really great riders, you understand why people who had never seen people riding a horse thought it was a centaur. They're, they're one animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's incredibly cool. So yes, how to how to how to get back to work when you've been away? Well, you have to become a centaur. Step one. Figure that one out. <laughs> Boom. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, It turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. How many times have I said boom during this podcast? It's okay. Not enough. Boom. Boom. So yeah, there's this whole thing of becoming completely present, feeling the body, we're back in our senses, Mm -hmm. and then the right horse, when it shows up, we recognize it, and getting on it is is bonding with it in a way where it expands our sense of self, and, and there's so much joy in the flow of that experience. Why would anyone ever want to do anything else? You know what it makes me think of? Our beloved Karen, who is one of those people who sort of flies under the radar a little bit mm. and she um, lives her life and and then every now and again you just get this glimpse of her pure amazing majesty and we were having a conversation with her once and it was all about like what do you want to be doing how do you want to be you know living da 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 you know one of these sort of things and Karen sort of said to us you know I don't really go and grab things. I just wait for the right thing to float by. And I think Marty and I were both in a mood at the time where we were like, oh, wait for it to float by. Uh, what are you, a sea anemone? <laughs> <laughs> the frenemy of my frenemy is it's my, my anemone. anemone. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We live alone in the woods. <laughs> we true. make our own fun. <laughs> and our own people. We made a person. We you made, made a person. person. He helped. Yeah, so, so Ro. Mm. All our folks are out there. Yeah, they are. Sometimes they're on horses. I hope so. Sometimes they fell off. I'm sorry. Literally, figuratively, Mozart is not the president. I'll tell you that right now. But everybody's (laughs) got a different thing that they're trying to get back onto. A horse, a metaphorical horse. Mm -hmm. So no matter what they're trying to do, Mm. what's this process we've just illuminated? Coming to our senses when getting on horses, Mm. you might say. So I think what we've established... Mm 
in this meandering conversation of mm-hmm. ours yes. is that the first thing we want to do is pause. Pause. Before getting on the horse. Don't just clamber back up on that horse. For it'll goodness walk sake. away. It, it, if anything, it'll walk away. If you're lucky, it'll walk away. If you're lucky. If you're not lucky. If you're not lucky, curtains. it's a bitey, bitey zebra. It's a kicky, kicky. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. good. Not good at all. So pause for God's sake. Pause. My gosh, you value your life. Pause. <laughs> You've paused. Then what happens? You want to be in the present, right? Yeah. Presence. Yeah. Available to whatever's happening in this moment. Don't think too much about past. Don't think too much about future. Just don't think too much. Actually, not thinking is a very good idea, even though the culture says if you're not thinking, you're being stupid. Actually, a lot of people who are thinking are acting stupid. And when you get into that flow zone, mm. you can solve amazing problems because you're no longer in the, as Einstein said, you're no longer in the system of logic that created the problem. So you get smarter. Amazing. And so then once we're in the present, we're not using our brains too much. We can feel for what's energizing. Yeah. Use the whole neurological circuitry of the body because the brain is not artificially disconnected from the rest of the body, right? Good point. So you could think, we think with our whole nervous systems and the body is going to tell us what's energizing. Oh, that's cool. So we talked earlier about different areas of our lives that we might be wanting to get back on horses. Yes. Like you talked about the postpartum thing where you're supposed to spring back into being some sort of fancy prepartum chick. Right. And I'm not that anymore. I'm breastfeeding. I'm doing all these things. You weren't doing that before you had a baby. Well, why only, would you? Only recreationally. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a good occupation. Tis. The wet nurse. Okay. So, and, uh, you know, for me, it's more like it's about aging. Mm. Do you, like every day you get after you're 40, you get up and then look in the morning in the mirror and say, you know, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's not me. And so you, over and over, you confront this question do I just age gracefully or do I try to keep looking? Like I'm 30 and um, look really different, but not necessarily like I'm 30. It really helps me to remember this story from Ram Dass. The, his first name was Richard Alpert, and then he became like a monk, and he became Ram Dass. And he was a big spiritual teacher, and then he had a stroke. And it pretty much leveled him. He could talk a little, but he couldn't really move very well. Mm. And all his acolytes got around him and they said, Ram Dass, don't worry. You'll be up walking for sure really fast. And in the slow wet, new way he had of talking, he said, I think I'll sit for a while. Hmm. I remember that so often when I feel like something's getting away from me and I'm like all verklempt and trying to hang on. I think I'll sit for a while. What's wrong with that? Yeah, it makes me think of of one of our really strong cultural stories is he's a fighter. You know, right. when you when someone's sick, even when they're terminally sick and they're being told, you can do this, fight it, fight it, your battle with cancer, you are right. on the battlefield. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't want to fight. My yeah. body knows that what's happening here is my brain, my positive attitude is not going to change this. And that's a perfect example of pausing, getting out of the cultural consensus, coming to your own senses about what your body needs at any given moment. Eventually, it's not going to want to keep fighting. Yeah. Might not be today, but when it happens... You, you know, go gently into that good night. <laughs> For God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Do not rage Do not against rage the dying, against of, the dying the of light. Because it's not going to help. No. Like, at least, you know, granddad was sick for two months, but at least he was furious the entire time. <laughs> he raged and raged and it was fantastic. <laughs> Thank God. No, I mean, this might be quite triggery for some people out there. Yeah. And I don't want to mean, it's I don't want to say your loved one should give up the fight Mm. we want to hang on but this is just the thing is that a horse we want to get back on once the body has gone past its use by date right and and just but look at the way you just worded that give up the fight right maybe the the thing is we question is it a fighting with nature fighting with ourselves fighting with our body is is that what's actually happening fighting with like um right now we've been talking a lot about our pets there's a yeah. very sad thing going on in Australia with Rowie's dog. Yeah, my old dog who lives with my lovely mama now is um, is coming to the end of his days. And, and the thing is, he's not fighting. No, he's not fighting. He goes out and he sits outside 
and his various organs are failing and he watches the breeze and he does not try to get up and go running around the neighborhood like he used to. No. No, there's, he's not fighting. Yeah, there's something when when you're watching someone go consciously toward that big door, there's an there's a kind of luminosity and depth even with an animal mm. that comes up that is profoundly true. Yeah. Because they're not I've got to live on for at least 10 more years. I mean, what are you going to do for the 10 more years? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's a big wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but actually, it's not because it's that's not. something we all have to face eventually. And it's a really important thing not to get back on that horse when that's not the horse you want to get on. Ah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So bodies. Yeah, mm, man. Yeah. Totally. So relationships was another area we talked about, right, a horse that right. we might want to get back on. I always, I love thinking about my, you know, I say, you know, we're supposed to keep the embers hot for life. Well, one couple I know that actually is still like crazy mad in love in their mid seventies, uh, are Byron Katie and Stephen Mitchell, her husband. And the thing I, one of the things I love most about them, they're crazy about each other. They're like teenagers, but their wedding ceremony, they had the, the, person marrying them I don't know who it was the only vows that they had yeah. as part of their wedding it, the vow was I promise to love you until I don't how perfect is that well the guy wouldn't say it he refused oh, really? to say it he had to give a little speech on eternal love or whatever and Stephen had to like take, take him out back and spank him a little not not literally <laughs> um Stephen hey whatever had- it takes to keep the spice in your relationship <laughs> Stephen gave him a dressing down he gave him a real talking to because <laughs> he, they wanted that. I promise to love you till I don't because nothing else is true. Mm. Nothing else allows for change and change is continuous. And both of them know that that's what they wanted to say to each other, which is so liberating, right? And it's the, oh yeah, it's what other promise can we ever give anyone? But I will until I don't. Right, exactly. Love it. So that was wonderful. And yeah. um yeah, our relationship changed after the baby. You started ch- tracking sleep and feeding and everything. And I was just like, la, 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 I'll poke you in the belly button. <laughs> we, we have different approaches to, to stuff like this. And so I was in my little like, okay, busy little beaver getting the, the apps. And okay, so she slept for this long and now it's time for her to eat and da, 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 da. And I was like, whatever, until you finally said, I can't do this by myself. <laughs> You've got to stop poking the baby when she's supposed to be sleeping. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I got to follow all the apps and things. And it turned out really well, but it's a completely different way of relating to each other. Well, I think we, we found a really happy medium between your more like go with the moment and my more planny sort of anal approach. Right. So we both changed. We both changed. It's okay. It, fine. it may be different in the next minute. I, I hope so. Um, yeah, so that's relationship stuff. And then there's career. A lot of people have shifted their jobs, um, at the time we're recording this because of COVID. Yeah. And there's the whole idea. Once we're all vaccinated, let's go back to the way we were doing it before. Yeah. I don't think that's going to make sense for everyone. Well, I think it already hasn't. I mean, I think it's, it's such a fascinating thing. We had a, a pandemic and something that had nothing really to do with the pandemic was that we suddenly realized that the technology that we rely on we can rely on a lot more and yeah. and there goes the commute Boom. and and we already know that there's so many businesses that aren't going to go back to an in-person working doesn't model. make sense so, yeah it's it's throwing money into the wind really because we don't need to go to the common place where we all used to work like a factory but what's interesting is that's happening at a cultural level and so that's becoming a new consensus yeah. but when we start doing these things for ourselves like our own little moments of pausing before jumping back on a horse mm. it's it can lead you to doing things that are going to look weird to the culture uh, yeah they could look yeah. very strange. I mean, at one one day you could be sitting in a business suit at a conference table mm. and the next day you could be like sitting in a nice top but no pants while or slithering your partner <laughs> slithers cockatoo uh, and and cockatoo like crested. slug-like crested cockatoo in wearable blanket slithering across the floor behind you while you square your jaw and stare into the camera, willing the other people in the meeting not to see what they are seeing. You too could have this life, dear listener. 
<laughs> you just need a wearable blanket and a baby. And the right attitude. <laughs> and the right attitude. Do not give up. Okay, so sum it up for us. All right. Rowie. So when we want to get back on the horse, here's something to try. Three steps. Three steps. First, la pause. We're pausing right now. Is it the right horse? Is, Is it this- the right horse? Yes. Do I want to get back on it? How do I want to get back on it? I could get back on it backwards. Who knows? Step two, la presence. Available to the moment, not in past or future. Everything's flowing. Everything's now. Yada dee da. Not too big a role for the old brain box in that stage. Yeah. And, and finally, then. from la pause and la presence, look for la fun. La fun. Does it energize you? Does it make you excited? Does it make you happy? Does it make you relax? It might not always make you happy, but it will make you feel relaxed. And and the thing I already always tell everyone, it will make you feel free. Free. Your energy will feel free. Yeah. And that is, you know, what the Buddha said, you can always taste enlightenment because it tastes of freedom. So Yeehaw. What, yeah. So whatever horse you get on at that point will take you directly to enlightenment. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Thanks for coming back with us, you guys, as we climb back on the horse of our podcast. We'll be galloping by you again sometime soon, folks. So in the meantime, stay Stay wild. wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.